Thanks for once again finding Organic Matters. Wherever you're finding me, I always have to say that. I used to track it all, but I can't keep up with all of it. Anyway, going to start today's show with something a little different, that it, but it's coming along to the point that being organic, being natural, kind of following all this. I'm going to talk a little bit about lab-grown animal products. And, and what I'm discovering is they're really not the environmental saviors that the proponents that want to sell them to you would really like you to believe. So I guess it kind of leads off with this question. Should the meat, milk, and eggs of the near future, but it's really kind of here, be created in a lab? The biotech companies producing these new foods fly the bold banner of kinder, greener protein. But could their proof of these claims be kind of an image, kind of a mirage of what's really going on? I have about three questions I hope that uh, all of us that are eaters want to think about as far as these new wave of animal-free proteins claiming to be the solution to climate-positive diets. But first, let's talk about an explanation of synthetic biology. I've already got its own new word, synbio, the process by which most of these products are being created. Synthetic biology uses genetic engineering, scares me already, techniques to alter the DNA of microorganisms, algaes, bacteria, and yeast to produce entirely new compounds through fermentation, including milk and egg proteins, collagens, fats, flavorings, and a heck of a lot more, a bunch of them. Yet, the FDA's National Bioengineered Food Disclosure Standard, sorry it's so long, doesn't require these products to be labeled GMO. We've had that going on for years till now because they aren't considered transgenic. Other words, they mean they don't incorporate DNA from another species. That's when we get in trouble with GMO in most cases. So they're often marketed as non-GMO to made with precision fermentation. This is the new word they came up with. Terms that appeal to natural and organic consumers. I'm guilty. I'm one. However, the non-GMO project prohibits synbio ingredients in their standards. So is this really a transparency or is it really a mirage? In a recent article published in Sage Journal, scientists note that while companies producing these alternative proteins claim transparency, they're also protecting their pending patents with great secrecy. They wrote in one quote I found, Silicon Valley found food tech entrepreneurs aspire to bring a new food system into being and convince their audiences this food future is both better and achievable. Their representational practices make it difficult, if not almost impossible, for the general public or anybody really, even some other scientists, to meaningfully assess the promises and the potential consequences of what they're doing. Errol Schweitzer, and he's a real industry expert, writes in Forbes magazine recently that the investor model is very much like Silicon Valley, competing aggressively with the goal of cornering the market as a monopoly or a duopoly, they call it. He also points out in a seminar that he found, How Do You Milk a Microbe?, <laughs> that the current titans of industrialized meat and poultry production, including, and guess who's at the top of the list, Tyson and Cargill, are invested in these animal-free ingredients as well. And the nonprofit advocacy organization called an ETC group in its Who Will Feed Us report finds that globally more than 190 million people rely on pastoralism as an important source of protein and income. 
They warn this lab-made protein trend could destabilize hundreds of millions of people's lives. This kind of brings me to the next question. Is it really going to be better for you and better for the planet? For instance, the microbes generating SynBio ingredients require, of course, a growth medium. Typically, it's corn or soy. Right now, in the United States, more than 90% of these crops are grown genetically modified in systems reliant on environmentally destructive practices. So, how are the companies making big sustainability claims sourcing the food stock for their operations? And, as production scales up, will it increase the acreage of GM crops even more here in the United States and globally? Also, what kind of waste and fossil fuel emissions do these fermentation factories really generate? Right now, we have no way of knowing. Might mention here as an aside, right now we're trying to convince the country of Mexico to start buying our genetically modified corn, which they're resisting right now. We need the outlet, but they are more cautious than we are about it. One point often missing from the buzz around this new lab-grown animal product deal is the climate-positive benefits of animals raised in a truly regenerative organic model, which there's a number of farmers right now practicing that. Guy Albert Strauss points to data showing that by 2023, his Strauss organic milk will achieve a similar or maybe even better climate-positive footprint to alternative plant-based milk. The Strauss family creamery is committed to creating a carbon-neutral dairy farming model rooted in organic agriculture by the year, by this year, by the end of 2023. Practices include carbon farming, creating healthy soil to sequester the CO2 and reusing it, electric farm equipment instead of gas, and feed supplements for reducing cows' enteric methane emissions, which will contribute to what already appears to be a a successful model. And more evidence shows up in the soil at a place called Alexandria's Family Farm the first certified regenerative dairy already in the country. Their soil samples have already gone from 2 to 3% organic matter to 8 and as much as 15% on areas where they've transitioned to regenerative practices. And research from the University of Wisconsin finds that the carbon sequestration benefits of organic practices in pasture grazing result in at least a 24% lower emission for small organic farms compared to conventional farming practices. Perhaps the most critical question then is, how is our food, plant or animal, produced? A quote from somebody, I'm not sure where it came from. It's not the cow, but it's the how that counts. So I'm not really dead against technology. I'm all for it. I'm all for it being truly transparent, and it should really serve a purpose besides lining the pockets of the Cargill's and the Tysons of the world. Now, while I'm on my bio kick, I'm going to give you a few, I'm going to call them bio-friendly solutions that you want to, I think, try to keep. I really wanted to do this at the beginning of the year and just getting around to it. But just to finish this part of the show out, just some ideas about uh, making it a little easier on our planet. Start by making reusable cups your first cup of choice. I've gotten pretty good at this. Opting for a reusable bottle or a cup is just one of the simplest solutions you can adopt. I'll call it in the new year since it's really the new year, but it's an important one too. 
The amount of waste generated from people getting coffee in non-reusable to-go cups or water in plastic bottles, if I gave you the numbers, I might even give you a few, will astound you. Switching to a reusable water bottle or coffee mug can significantly reduce such waste, especially when it's done in mass. So try to make a point to become part of the mass. And another simple idea. Consciously try to reduce water waste while showering and brushing your teeth. I, I learned to do this the very hard way. I now live in an RV at least part of the year, and they only have six gallons of hot water. I've learned to be very resourceful uh, with my water. Anyone can incorporate this resolution into a daily routine. All it consists of is turning off the water while you're brushing your teeth or when soaping up or shampooing in the shower. When you aren't actively using the water from the faucet, turn it off. This will help reduce water waste and it can also save money. One other thing I do is I just get enough warm water in the sink when I'm shaving, fill it a couple of inches in the sink and use it for the entire shave. If you really want to work on it, you can actually put a bucket in the shower to catch your gray water. Then you can use it, recapture gray water to water your plants both in your house and in your garden. Or do as I did here at the RV and you can do it at your home. I have my shower water go out uh, not into my sewer. It goes into either if I want to put a bucket there or a container or just to water part of the lawn. The way I accomplished that was to make a hose connection to where the shower and other gray water, if you want, comes out, and then you can move that hose anywhere you want. And, and what a savings of water over time. And here's an idea someone else actually wrote into my show about. Regrow one herb or one vegetable. Just one at first, and then so on and so on. Did you know many of the herbs and vegetables you eat can be grown in your home? Very simply, it's true. Have you looked at the price of thyme, fresh thyme, or fresh basil, or anything you use uh, if you're a regular cook like I am? I mean, for instance, you can stick the bottom part of your green onion, celery, or your carrots, stick them in some water, and they'll start to grow again. So the next time you buy vegetables or herbs at the store, consider regrowing new food from what would ordinarily become scraps. The benefit of growing and regrowing food at home is you save more money than you can imagine. Oh, and if you do it right, you're eating organic, you're growing your own, and you're reducing the food waste all at the same time. And I am a dedicated meat eater, but I, well, over a year or two ago, maybe more than that, now do at least one meatless dinner a week. And honestly, I actually do more than that now. I've gotten used to it, and I'm probably doing two or three of my dinners per week with, with no meat involved in that particular meal at all. And this is a, a little little secret you don't even know is happening at your house. Another simple solution you can do to incorporate into your daily routine is just unplug any appliances and electronics not in use. You might not realize, but even when you've turned these devices off, they're still sucking power. It's often referred to as vampire power or standby power. It's what makes your instant TV come on. Yes, you'll have to wait an extra eight or 10 seconds if you uh, turn it off. But it's estimated that in the United States, we waste just on vampire power over $3 billion a year. That's a lot of wasted energy, folks. The solution is simply unplug it when not in use or do about like I did. Put them on power strips. I have a power strip that runs my whole computer system. When I'm done with it, this show I'm doing it on, and I just hit one button, I'm turning off one, two, three, four different systems, and it's off until I 
need to turn it back on again. And to kind of wind this quarter of the show up, uh, last week I actually did this. So if you're getting this show, you can go back, look last week, use what I call DIY, do-it-yourself products to clean your home. I'm sure it was last week. I put on my show eight or ten items that you have around your house that's safe for you and generally safe for your pets, and but is totally safe or mostly safe for the environment. Not everything is not perfectly safe. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of things that we use every day won't even realize is not really very good for the environment. So anyway, you can go back a week or so and look up do-it-yourself cleaning products and it'll save you money, number one, and it's certainly uh, better for you than the alternatives. Thanks for staying tuned to Organic Matters. <laughs>